We are the Bride Radio as the voice of the true Bride of Christ. the bride of Christ to stand up and take your place in the army in the kingdom we recognize our battle is not with flesh and blood but with the principalities and the powers of the air we are a ministry of prayer and we highlight what God is doing through other ministries and ministers across the globe we provide a platform for ministers and a place for the bride to come together and rally around each other, hold up each other's arms, and pray for one another. WATV Radio celebrates the various missions that God has called each one of us to in this army, so we desire to promote and enhance the bride as a whole. Go, bride! Our soon-coming king awaits. This is a WATB disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the views of We Are the Bride Ministries, We Are the Bride Radio, or We Are the Bride Television. Thank you. We're going to do our BAM in your face devil Bible study. And we are going to finish Second Chronicles before we move on to Job. How exciting is it going to be, Bride, to be able to go through Job, especially around the time of Thanksgiving? How funny is that? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people are actually depressed through the holidays. So, I think Job will be a great encouragement to the Bride. Uh, so, we should be through with Second Chronicles by, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday. And then we can go into Job. Don't you love studying the Word of God, Brad? Studying the Word of God is such a, a treasure. And I'm very thankful for this time uh, to be able to dig in His Word and to study with you. And to be able to have God take us back in time and kind of have us uh, live the Word and experience the Word and how does it become relevant in our day and age? So let's just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll get started with Second Chronicles. And don't forget, I use the King James Version. Now, actually, look at this, Bride. Second Chronicles is a huge, cha- is huge book. 36 chapters. So if we do 5 a day into 35 would be what? 6 is 30. So we've got, this take us a week, so this will take us through Thanksgiving. And then we will be able to get started on Job. I'm excited about doing Job. Uh, we're going to have to really delve into Job because a lot of the church today teaches that the church does not suffer, that Christians do not suffer, but we actually do, Brad. Uh, we do suffer. There's a lot of people out there suffering. We need to know what is our heart and what is our role in the midst of the suffering. So I think Job is going to be a great study for us. All right, so let's start off with second. Well, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you and give you praise for this beautiful morning, Lord. 
we thank you, Lord, for giving us this time to be able to get back in your word again, uh, to do this deep study, Lord, because your word is so amazing. And you give that to us as a gift, Lord, the church, to be able to see your heart and to be able to understand how you are because our culture and our day and our age, Lord, tries to twist uh, the word of God to meet the culture of the day. And we need clarification. And we trust in your word to give us that clarification on what is holy and what is right and what do you accept and, and what pleases you, Lord, because that is the whole reason of our existence is to please you and to have your eyes upon us, Lord, in favor, and not to be a stench before your nostrils because of mixing and partnering with the ungodly things. So we ask you, Lord, that while we're studying Second Chronicles, that you will take us back in time and have us experience this, Lord, and bring it to life to us and help us to understand how to make this relevant with the situations that we're facing in our country today, in our communities today, and in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, now what I'm going to do is have the uh, book read it to you. This is the King James, and this is from the Version app. And then I will pause it for us to uh, be able to answer. Okay? Here we go. So this is Second Chronicles chapter 1. Alright, here we go. The second book of Chronicles, chapter 1. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him, yes. and magnified him exceedingly. <laughs> yes! Then Solomon spake unto all Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges, and to every governor in all Israel, the chief of the fathers. So Solomon, and all the congregation with him, went to the high place that was at Gibeon. But there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. All right, now. But the ark of God had David brought up from Kirjath-Jerim to the place which David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Moreover, brazen altar that Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord, oh. and Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. Oh. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. Oh! oh, oh, oh. oh. Pause. Thou hast oh, hold on. David, my father, Stop. And hast made me no. to reign in his stead. Pause. Oh, my goodness. Let me make sure I understood this right. Rewind. Let's go back to verse 5. Let's. <laughs> this is fire me up, right? Because when you study the tabernacle and you study how God is about the sin offerings and everything. Oh my goodness, do you appreciate your walk with the Lord? Do you understand the role of sin? That's why I keep saying all of these things that our world and country and culture is doing, partnering with all this sin, it's a stench to God. He does not touch this for nothing. So, 
let's go back and see what is happening here. Now, see, it's been a while since we've been back in the tabernacle days because now we're all the way up. We just finished Esther. So now we're going back, and this is I'm glad we did because we need this. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him and magnified him exceedingly. Then Solomon spoke to all of Israel, to the captains of the thousands of hundreds and the judges and every governor of Israel and the chief of the fathers. So Solomon and all the congregation was with him, went to the high place that was at Gibeon, for there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God. So he went up to the tabernacle which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But the ark of God had David brought up from Kerjatherin to the place which David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Moreover, the brazen altar with Bazil, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up there to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the, con of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings before it. Now, I want to do something real quick because I want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding this right. Let's look up brazen altar. All right, let's see here. All right, here we go. The brazen altar in the court of the tabernacle. From the sanctuary, we pass in this chapter to the outer court, the principal object in which the brazen altar or altar of burnt offering. So this is in the outer court section. Okay, so it's, this is all the way back in Exodus when they did this, Exodus 27. The altar was a four square case of shittim wood, five cubits long and five broad, made with four horns and overlaid with plates of bronze. Round it at some distance from the ground was apparently a ledge on which the priest stood when engaged with the sacrifices. We must suppose that the central part was filled with the earth or with the unhewn stones commanded in Exodus 20, 24, and 25. The grade of network of verse 4 seems to us to have supported the ledge or compass over verse 5. Some take a different view. Okay, let's see here. The altar as the place of atonement, there it is, okay, reminded the worshiper of sin and of his need of cleansing from sin's guilt. Now, Bride, I have been telling you this time and time again, this New Age Jesus that says that sin is not an issue anymore. I told you I heard that pastor pray and say that the tree of light, the tree of knowledge of good and evil no longer exists to the uh, sinner. And I'm telling you, I mean, to the Christian, I'm telling you, Brad, this is so out there in so many uh, religions, so many churches now, which teach Jesus, when he died, took care of everything. And you don't have to worry about sin anymore. And see, this is what it's so sad 
that we have this going on because sin is the very thing that keeps you from heaven. Isn't that something? And this is the very thing that these new age Jesus people are teaching people not to worry about that anymore. And it's just so sad. So to me, God is speaking to us today about our honesty before God. Remember, I've been telling you this as well time and time again, that our honesty before God is what he wants about our sin and about everything. Okay, so it says, as the altar, the place of atonement, reminded the worshiper of sin and of his need of cleansing from his sin. Because see, if we don't realize that we need our Savior because there is sin trying to take us out, it builds up pride in our heart. And where is pride from, bride? Lucifer. Pride is from Satan. Pride will take you out flat. In this way, it pointed forward to Christ in whom the whole ritual of the sacrifice reaches its consummation. As the altar of burnt offering, which he just talked about, he did, uh, it taught the duty of unconditional and entire surrender to the will of God. This offering up of the whole being of God to inward consecration underlies the special acts of consecration symbolized in the showbread and the candlestick and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so let's go back to the scripture. Okay, so... When it says the brazen altar that Bezel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord, and Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it, letting him know, God, I recognize the sin that my people have done before your eyes. I mean, you think of a thousand offerings that he made uh that's a lot and then when you consider that and you consider that jesus was the ultimate price for all sin it lets you know how much how the price that the lord really paid is so amazing because he took all of our sin on him in that night did god appear unto solomon and said unto him ask what i shall give thee now that is telling God, I see you. Thank you for being honest with me. What do you want? And I will give you the kingdom. Remember when we studied Esther, the same thing happened to Esther when she went before the king. Why? Because she had favor before the king. And that's what we ask as God's people, that we have favor before the king. So when Solomon was honest with God and he he brought the brazen altar and his sacrifices, his humbleness, his repentance to God. God said, ask me what you want, Solomon. What do you want? So let's continue here, Brad. We're in, let's go back to verse 5, 2 Chronicles, and we're in the King James Version. And yes, good morning, everybody. Okay, so let's go. Moreover, the brazen altar that Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, he put before the tabernacle of the Lord, and Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. In that night did God appear unto Solomon, and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. 
And Solomon said unto God, Isn't it amazing? Thou hast shown great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. Oh. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom. Alright, Paul, something just came to my spirit. Okay. God had respect unto Solomon because of the way that Solomon respected the traditions that God had set with his forefathers on how to handle sin and how to do repentance. Are y'all catching on here? This is what we need to have happen with President Trump. We need to pray that God will put true people in his path and that they will tell him, Sir, this New Age Jesus stuff out here, this is a stench in God's nostrils. God is not listening. I don't care what they tell you, he's not listening. God has a set order in the way that he gives stays and reprieves, and it's called repentance, true repentance. And that's a humbleness, and that's an addressing of the sin that is done before his eyes. That's what needs to happen for our country. So we need to pray. Let's pray right now. Lord, we pray for President Trump. As we study this word in Second Chronicles, and we understand that you listen to honesty about sin and that you want us as leaders like President Trump to respect the order of the way that you establish uh, addressing sin and the way that you establish repentance. And we pray, Lord, that you put an Esther in his path, somebody that will speak the truth to him about the way that the real repentance is going to have to come in the United States in order for us to stay this great judgment that's coming imminently. Send someone to him, Lord, that will be bold as a lion and not be caught up in elitism and having their name in lights and, and uh, having the open door in the White House and just the ooh and ah over it. We want our president to address the nation and address the sin and the atrocities that we have done before your throne uh, correctly and respectful to your order, Lord, which is truth, which is righteousness, and which is holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord, for bringing that up this morning about how God respected Solomon. Because look what Solomon did when he went before God. God, I respect what you have with my father David. In other words, I respect the proper order of things and the way that you do things and the way that you expect sin to be dealt with. Not the way that my generation thinks that we should handle this. Do y'all catch on? This is what's happening with this cultural new Jesus out here. This cultural new Jesus is rebellious to the original order and dealing of sin with God. And we have to keep it right before God's eyes no matter what the culture says we should do. Okay? And God had so much favor upon Solomon. And in that night, in verse 7, 
Did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what you will, and I will give it to thee, just like the king was with Esther. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father. In other words, I respect what you have done in the past. I respect the previous order of things. And has made me to reign in his stead. Like, I'm very humbled to have this opportunity. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David, my father, be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Like our modern day President Trump would say, you have made me king over the entire earth, basically. I mean, it's over the United States, but there's so much more than this. It's, it's much bigger than me. And I, I recognize the hand that it comes from is you. So let's go on now to verse... Let's continue in the Bible. That I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this, thy people? Okay, let me go back. And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or... All right, hold on. Pause, pause. All right. All right, let's go back to verse 8. in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David, my father, be established. For thou hast made me, me king, king over yes. people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this, thy people, that is so great? Wow. And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor. Wow. The life of thine enemies. Neither yet hast asked long life, but hast asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee. Wow. And I will give thee riches. That a teacher's wanted, bride. Such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. Then Solomon came. So in other words, he says, okay, God. I recognize that you have given me this kingdom. It is so big. It is, it's beyond measure how big this is. I respect what you've done with my father, but now it's my turn. I need wisdom. I need understanding. How do I do this? Like, okay, you have given me the land, but how do I go about it? I remember when I went to Washington, I asked the Lord the same thing. I was like, Lord, what do I do? I, I've never done this before. I've never lived in a big city like this. I'm kind of scared, Lord. You know, like, you just wouldn't believe what it took, <laughs> Brian, what it took to get there, I'm telling you. And so, the Lord did it. He, he did it. So, let's continue. From his journey to the high place that was at Gibeon to Jerusalem, from before the tabernacle of the congregation, and reigned over Israel. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen, and he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen, which wow. he placed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver and gold at Jerusalem as plenteous as stones, and cedar trees made he as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. Wow. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt, and linen yarn, 
All right, pause. Let's examine this for a minute and compare it to our president. Okay. This is a king that humbled himself before God, recognized what God had done in the previous kings, and said, okay, God, this is my generation. You are God. So how am I going to do this? I want to do it the way you have designed for me. And abundant overflow blessings came in like all get out. Because he asked for wisdom to complete the mission. And that's what we should ask whenever God sends us on a mission. God, give us the wisdom to complete this mission. Give us the strength to complete it. Give us the know-how. How do we do this mission? You know, so... Let's continue. This We're learning a lot of stuff. This is good stuff today, Brad. The king's merchants received the linen yarn at a price, and they fetched up and brought forth out of Egypt Verse 17. for 600 shekels of silver and an horse for 150. And so brought they out horses for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria by their means. All right, chapter 2. This is so good, Brad. Second Chronicles chapter 2. Second Chronicles chapter 2. And Solomon determined to build an house for the name of the Lord. Uh-oh. And a house for his kingdom. And Solomon told out three score and ten thousand men to bear burdens, and four score thousand to hew in the mountain, and three thousand and six hundred to oversee them. And Solomon sent to Huram, the king of Tyre, saying, As thou didst deal with David my father, and didst send him cedars to build him in a house to dwell therein. Even so, deal with me. Behold, I build a house to the name of the Lord my God, oh. to dedicate it to him, and to burn before him sweet incense, and for the continual showbread, and for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths, and on the new moons, and on the solemn feast of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. Pause. Pause. I just want to shout and just say this right here publicly. Bam in your face, devil. Mm. That is what makes America so great. Only with God as the Lord. It says right here in verse 5. And the house which I build. Not President Trump or any other person. The house that God builds is great. For great is our God above all gods. See, it's the humbleness factor. That's the biggest deal with Solomon. Uh, when he humbled himself before God, went out to the temple to the brazen altar, uh, did the offerings before the Lord, and humbled himself. That's when the miracles came in. And that's what has to take place in our country today. So, Lord, while we're seeing this right here in verse 5, about how a country becomes great, is recognizing that you are the God of that country. Yes, I am going to mark this for when I go to Ghana, Africa, and I'm praying before their governmental parliament. And I will bring this scripture in. Let me document this. 
Okay, so Second Chronicles chapter 2. Let me document this because this is how they can make their country great. Amen. All right, let's see here. So, Ghana. All right, Second Chronicles. Chapter 2, verse 5. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right. Okay, let's get back to the word here. able to build him a house verse seeing six. the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him hmm. who am i then that i should build him a house uh -oh. save only to burn sacrifice before him send me now therefore a man cunning to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron and in purple and crimson and blue and that can skill in other words he pulled all the people together with all their gifts David, my father, to build this temple Send me also cedar trees, fir trees. This also trees, comes with humbleness. For I know that thy servants can skill to cut timber in Lebanon. See. And behold, my servants shall be with thy servants, even to prepare me timber in abundance. For the house which I am about to build Verse nine, shall be wonderful. Second Chronicles rent. chapter two. And behold, I will give to thy servants those that cut timber. Pause again. Twenty thousand measures of beaten wheat. Well, Lord. Twenty thousand measures of barley. Okay. When it says right here in verse nine, it says, "Even to prepare me timber in abundance, for the house which I am about to build shall be wonderfully great." Yes. Why? Because God is at the head of it. Yes, we declare that over the United States, that we will repent, that we will humble ourselves and recognize that God is the great one. He's the reason our country is great. Okay, here we go. And 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. Then Huram, the king of Tyre, answered in writing, which he sent to Solomon, because the Lord hath loved his people, he hath made thee king over them. Who got Huram the praise said, there? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, that made heaven and earth, yes. who hath given to David the king a wise son, endued with prudence and understanding, that might build an house for the Lord and an house for his kingdom. And now, through I humbleness, a cunning man, endued with understanding of Huram my fathers, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan, and his father was a man of Tyre, skillful to work in gold. And in silver, in brass, in iron, in stone, and in timber, in purple, in blue, and in fine linen, and in crimson, also to grave any manner of graving, and to find out every device which shall be put to him, with thy cunning men, and with the cunning men of my lord David thy father. Now therefore the wheat, and the barley, the oil, and the wine, which my lord hath spoken of, let him send unto his servants. And we will cut wood out of Lebanon as much as thou shalt need. Which is the best wood, by the way. To thee in floats by sea to Joppa. 
and thou shalt carry it up to Jerusalem. And Solomon numbered all the strangers that were in the land of Israel, after the numbering wherewith David his father had numbered them. And there were found an hundred and fifty thousand and three thousand and six hundred. And he set threescore and ten thousand of them to be bearers of burdens, and fourscore thousand to be hewers in the mountain, and three thousand and six hundred overseers to set the people a work. Chapter 3 Second Chronicles 3 Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. <gasps> pause. The Lord appeared. Pause, pause, pause. Mount Moriah? What? That is where, bride, they're wanting to build the temple, the one that's going to be for the Antichrist. You know that they're wanting to build a temple in Jerusalem, which they're saying the president's going to help to build, but uh, they're building this temple in Jerusalem. They're wanting to do it on Mount Moriah. Now I know why, because it was where Solomon had built this great temple. So let's continue. To David his father, in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Oh! Build in the second day of the so the Lord appeared the to David there on Mount Moriah. These are the things wherein Solomon was instructed for the building of the house of God. The length by cubits after the first measure was three score cubits. Uh-oh! Pause! God gave Solomon instructions on how to build this temple. Just like God gave Moses instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And just like God gave Noah the instructions on how to build the ark. Why do we think it's any different for God to give us four dreams and four nights on how to do an assignment? For him to give exact instructions on how to do an assignment. That's how he does me. You know, I told you I had that man call me the other night. I just don't believe in your ministry. How do you know you hear God? I've never heard of a ministry like this. It travels like that all the time. And I said, sir, who do you think the apostles were? What did they do? That's how they lived. They traveled and they did whatever God told them to do. But God gives me all these specific assignments like Go to this city, do this. Remember when I was in Columbus, Ohio on the 2017 tour and the Lord said, okay, I had, you know, the upper part of the United States left, uh, you know, the north part. And the Lord said, okay, in this dream, he told me, he said, do not plan anything else from this point out. I think I still had a month or six weeks left. He said, I want you to do the rest of this tour by dreams. So just follow me day by day. And I was like, okay. And Brad, that's what he did. He would give me a dream. Go to this city. Go here, do this. Go here, do that. And if I was not able to go that day, like when he told me to, if I've been delayed, he will not give me another dream. He will not give me other assignments until I finish that assignment. So, God taught me how to hear his voice and how to follow these assignments and how to go here and go here and do this and do that. Just, why is it any different? I mean, this is what I want to ask people. Do you think God is so shallow that he is just going to abandon all of humanity and not, not speak to them supernaturally, not 
give them dreams, give them visions in the ways that he's always done. Why would he stop just for our generation? Why would he stop just for this new part of the New Testament after Jesus come? I don't get these. I mean, I understand that we have went too far with signs, miracles, and wonders, and some of us have made that an idol. You know, some of us just follow after this mantle and this mantle and this meeting and this meeting because I want to get prayed for here and get this mantle and get this touch and get, you know, I mean, I understand we can take it too far, but it doesn't mean that it's not real. It is real. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So when I see this, it's encouraging to me, especially one that is so persecuted right now. Uh, it's encouraging to me knowing that, you know, that I am hearing God, first of all, but it's encouraging that the way that he did Solomon and he gave him such instructions, you know, God will give me dreams, Brad, and he will tell me how to do whole logos. He will say, do it like this. Um, remember the dream I told you where he wanted me to go talk to that man I haven't seen in 30 years and ask him to forgive me? And he told me exactly how to do it, where to go, what time, what to say to him, what to do after I say to him, and what not. You know, it's instructions. And so when I see this, I can relate because blah, blah, blah. Okay, so let's continue. Bits and the breadth, 20 cubits. And the porch that was in the front of the house, the length of it was according to the breadth of the house. A porch? I love porches like that. 20. And he overlaid it within... He said it was at the breadth of the whole house. The greater house he sealed with fir tree, which he overlaid with fine gold. Aww. And set thereon palm trees and chains. And he garnished the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold of Parbaim. He overlaid also the house, the beams, the posts, and the walls thereof, and the doors thereof with gold, engraved cherubims on Can the you walls, imagine what this looks like, bro? most holy house, the length whereof was according to the breadth of the house, twenty cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and he overlaid it with fine gold, amounting to six hundred wow. talents. And the weight of the nails was fifty shekels of gold, and he overlaid... Just the weight of the nails... Gold. And in the most holy house, he made two cherubims of image work and overlaid them with gold. And the wings of the cherubims were 20 cubits long. One wing of the one cherub was five cubits reaching wow. to the wall of the house. And the other wing was likewise five cubits reaching to the wing of the other cherub. And one wing of the other cherub was five cubits reaching to the wall of the house. And wow. The was five cubits also joining to the wing of the other cherub. The wings of these cherubims spread themselves forth twenty cubits, and they stood on their feet. And wow. the faces were inward. And he made the veil of blue and purple. Did y'all catch on to that? You know, I saw a video where it talked about them doing this. And in that video, it said that these cherubs, cherubs came to life. And they stretched forth their self and turned their feet and their faces inward. I mean, is that not amazing? I mean, did you catch on to that? Okay, so let's go. We're on verse 13. This is so exciting. Cherubims thereon. Also he made before the house two pillars of thirty and five cubits high, and the chapter that was on the top of each of them was five cubits. 
and he made chains, as in the oracle, and put them on the heads of the pillars, and made an hundred pomegranates, and put them on the chains. And he reared up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand, and the other on the left, and called the name of that on the right hand, Jachin, and the name of that on the left, Boaz. Uh-oh, Boaz, what do you know about that? As one of the pillars before the temple. Chapter 4. Moreover, he made an altar of brass, twenty cubits the length thereof, and twenty cubits the breadth thereof, and ten cubits the height thereof. Also he made a molten sea of ten cubits from brim to brim, round in compass, and five cubits the height thereof, and a line of thirty cubits did compass it round about. And under it was the similitude of oxen, which did compass it round about, ten in a cubit, compassing the sea round about. Two rows of oxen were cast when it was cast. It stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, and three looking toward the west, and three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. Wow, like the and twelve tribes of Israel. And all their hinder parts were inward. Wow. And the thickness of it was an handbreadth, and the brim of it like the work of the brim of a cup, with flowers of lilies. And it received and held three thousand baths. He made also ten lovers, and put five on the right hand and five on the left, to wash in them such things as they offered for the burnt offering they washed in them. But the sea was for the priests to wash in. And he made ten candlesticks of gold according to their form, and set them in the temple, five on the right hand and five on the left. He made also ten tables and placed them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left. And he made an hundred basins of gold. Furthermore, he made uh, the court of the... Let me pause this, Brad. You know, if they made a temple like this today with all this gold and whatnot, can you imagine? I'm talking about for the church, the Christian church. Can you imagine uh, the persecution that they would go through? Because like TBN, you know, they made their their sinners like this very lavish and they got they went through such persecution... But the way I looked at it is, what about all these other houses of gold? I mean, what would the people say to them back then? You know, when God told me that he was giving me that radio station and for me to go claim it and all this, you know he told me in this dream, he said, when you ask for something for the bride, don't ever ask for small. That's what he told me. I want her to have the best. So... When it comes through, I, it may be laid in gold. I don't know. But I will not be ashamed of it because this is our God's place. It would be dedicated to him. So why shouldn't he have the best? That's what they've done all in the times of history. Now, when they build this false temple over in Jerusalem, the one that they're going to be building for the Jews, that they're going to end up putting in the Antichrist, you know that's going to be made of pure gold. Beauty. You know what I mean? Is people going to be mad about that? We'll see. All right, so let's continue here. Priests and the great court and doors for the court and overlaid the doors of them with brass. And he set the sea on the right side of the east end over against the south. And Huram made the pots and the shovels and the basins. And Huram finished the work that he was to make for King Solomon for the house of God, to wit the two pillars and the pommels and the chapters which were on the top of the two pillars 
and the two wreaths to cover the two pommels of the chapters which were on the top of the pillars and 400 pomegranates on the two wreaths wow two can you imagine on each wreath to cover the two pommels of the chapters which were upon the pillars isn't that funny how god is so specific on the bases one sea and 12 oxen under it the pots also and the shovels and the flesh hooks and all their instruments did Huram his father make to King Solomon for the house of the Lord of bright brass? In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them in the clay ground between Sukoth and Zeradathar. Thus Solomon made all these vessels in great abundance, for the weight of the brass could not be found out. Wow. And Solomon made all the vessels that were for the house of God, the golden altar also, and the tables whereon the showbread was set. Moreover, the candlesticks with their lamps, that they should burn after the manner before the oracle of pure gold. And the flowers, and the lamps, and the tongs, made he of gold. Wow! Gold. Isn't this amazing? And the snuffers, and the basins, and the spoons, and the censers of pure gold. And the entry of the house, the inner doors thereof, for the most holy place. And the doors of the house of the temple were of gold. You know, Brad, I think about this when I went, when I stayed in uh, Trump Towers there in D.C. I walked in that uh, hotel room and I was like, wow. I mean, like, everything is just made of gold. You know, it's just so beautiful. And that is nothing compared to what this uh, temple really looked like. I mean, can you imagine uh, the beauty, the way that it shined? It even said that the, the brass was shining. Okay, Bride, look, we're on the last chapter, chapter five. This has been so good today. Second Chronicles 5. Thus, all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated. What? And the gold and all the instruments. He honored his father? The house of God. The previous order. Let me pause this. Let me pause this. Okay. He is obeying the Lord in his assignment that God had given him for his generation. And now that it's finished, he's bringing in the old order, the David items that David had made for the temple. Now, remember, Brad, we talked about this last year when we were studying the way that the temple was made. Do you remember how we talked about how sad David was? That he wanted to build that tabernacle, the temple, so bad, and God would not let him do it. And why? Because he sinned. He sinned with Bathsheba, and it cost him everything. And although he was the favorite of God, now, let's look at the sin factor again here for a minute. Although he was the favor of God, when he sinned in perversion, it cost him the temple. But he knew that God was going to allow his son to be able to build the temple. And do you know that he would make little things for the temple? I mean, can you imagine, like, all the time that it took to make these little things for the temple, and he would just look at it and think, I could have had that. I could have been the one that built this temple for God. That one sin, that one perversion, that one thing that I did with Bathsheba cost me the temple. But Solomon, when he 
repented before the Lord and acknowledged the sin of the nation before the Lord and acknowledged the old order of the way that God did things, okay, God gave him the kingdom plus, 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 plus. Favor beyond measure. Uh, and so, when I'm telling you about the New Apostolic Reformation, the New Apostolic Reformation wants to do away with the old order. They, they think they know all and they know what's better. So they want to do away with the old order and do it the way that they want to do it. But do you think God honors that? Because the old order is like example with President Trump. The old order would tell President Trump, listen, President Trump, God uh, listens to humility and God wants us to repent for the nation honestly. Not just a blanket thing. He wants honest before him on a national, you know. It's, it's recognizing the old order of humility, the old order of repentance, the old order of honesty before God. Not any of this, I command, you know, blood and the pride and everything else that goes along with the New Apostolic Reformation. God respects, I mean, God respects people that respect him, that fear him. When you, when you understand God's behaviors towards sin, that is respecting the order that God has for our lives. The order is repentance. The order is being honest before God and not thinking that Jesus just took care of sin forever and I never have to repent because sin doesn't bother me anymore. It does not even exist. Some people are teaching that hell does not even exist. I mean, how sad is this? Okay, let's continue. ...of Israel unto Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Going into verse 3. Before, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the Ark. The Levites were the ones in charge the of the temple. And the tabernacle of the congregation... And all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, these did the priests and the Levites bring up. Pause. Also King so Pause. Another instance of the order of God. Remember with Moses and the tabernacle, what was the order? The order was you had the 12 tribes of Israel, but the Levites' inheritance was the temple. The Levites' inheritance was taking care of the rest of the tribes. They were the caretakers of the people. The proper order here, when Solomon finishes the temple, and now they're getting ready to do all the celebration and everything. Who are the ones that have the honor to go forth in this? The old order, the proper order, the proper way to do things, the Levites and the priests. You know, Solomon could have said in his day, our generation knows better, so we want you know, X, Y, and Z type of people to be carrying the ark. Do you see what I mean? No, they honor God's order of things. Okay, let's continue. And all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place. 
to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even mm. under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark. See? The cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves of the ark. Where are we at? at? Of the staves, oh, verse 10. Were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it is unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb. Pause, Brad. Pause. I'm lost. I was looking at the wrong chapter. Let's go back. Back, 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 back. Okay, to verse 3. We're on Second Chronicles 5, 3. All the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast which was in the seventh Okay, month. here we go. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took and up the, the ark. And the Levites. And they brought up the ark, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, these did the priests and the Levites bring up. Proper order. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude the sacrifice the for sin brought in the ark of the covenant of the lord unto his place to the oracle of the house into the most holy place even under the wings of the cherubims Aww. for the cherubims spread forth their wings over the place of the ark there they go the again covered the ark and the staves thereof above they came to life and again. they drew out the staves of the ark that the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle but they were not seen without. Wow. There it is unto this day. Wow. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them, of Asaph, of Heman, of Jedithan, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests, sounding with trumpets. Blowing the shofar. It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Yes. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even <laughs> Yes, Lord. So that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Oh, yes. Does that fire you up, Brad? Why did the glory of the Lord fill the temple? Why? Because they honored and feared God. They kept the old order. They kept the order, the proper procedures that God requires for repentance. This whole thing is based on sin and repentance. The blessing of the Lord, the moving and the acting of the Lord, the response of God, the glory of God all comes through honesty, repentance, and dealing with it, and addressing it. God does not expect that any of us are perfect. No, he does not. But what he expects is honesty. What he expects is a real person. A real, you know, a real talk with him. Because... When they, when this new religion 
when they tell people, all you got to do is accept Jesus. I'm like, you're hurting people because it's a lot more than just accepting. You got to know what you're getting into. You have to know the price that you're paying. Remember, Brad, I told you, when I have a church, I'm going to have a sign over the door that says, Welcome to your funeral. Because people have to know. People have to know. You're not just going to give your life to God so that he can give you wealth and riches on a stick. That's not Christianity. Uh, you're not going to give your life to God just because, you know, you want to be happy the rest of your life. You are going to give the Lord your life. He died for you. You die for him. That's the price you pay. You have to understand what you're getting into. You're going to suffer. You are going to pay a price for this decision. It's not an easy decision. So, you need to know that you can't do anything without him anyway. All he wants is for you to be honest. Just lay it out there and just be honest. Lord, I recognize I have problems. Remember, Brad, I told you when he was telling me that he was jealous for me and he wants me all to himself, and I'm like, how can you be my husband? I, I could not understand that for nothing. How can you be my husband? How? I mean, you know, uh, how can you fulfill all my needs? I don't see it, you know. But I told him, I will do it if you will... You know, show me that you will be my everything because I don't know how to be this person. The Lord already knows it. He already knew what my past was. He already knew the shady past that I had. And he still called me to it. And don't forget, Brad, when he calls you to it, he's going to bring you through it. When he tells you to go, when you take your foot out and you go, that is when it will flow. See, there's many people that say, I can't obey the Lord because I don't have the money and he has to do all this and have it all lined up and then I'll go. Let me save up all this money and then I'll hit the mission field. That's not the way it works, Brad. The way it works is when God tells you to go and he sets out a timing, of course it's all in his timing, but when he sets his timing and he tells you to go, or do, it's not that you have to go and leave. It's whatever the assignment is. When he tells you to do it, you have to go. You have to do. When he tells you to and you just say, okay, like me when he told me go on that 2017 Mega Revival Tour and all I had was $20, I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to this $20 runs out. I have no idea with this car with rod knocking and bald tires. I will go until and then I would get to the end of that and then there would be a $15 donation. Not a hundred, not two hundred, a thousand. It would be like that. Just living enough just to have just to have enough gas to get to the next place. Next place. Next place. I always had to do this to get it. Okay, Lord, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get here? 
following I had to go in order for it to flow. You have to go to in order for him to come through. It's just the way it works. So, I pray that if God is telling you to do something or if he's, you know, speaking to you about starting this or doing this, that you step over into this and this is where the blessings are. And we saw that with Solomon. When he, when Solomon honored God's precepts and honored God's order and honored God's, um, you know, when he feared the Lord enough to recognize that, okay, Lord, the way that you do things is the right way. I am not better than the old order. I'm going to respect the way that you told my father to do it. And I'm just asking for wisdom and knowledge on how to handle this today. And that's all God is asking us for today. Lord, we don't know how to do all this. We don't know how to live in the last days. We don't know how to live with the Antichrist about to step on the scene. We don't know how to live when they want to come and have us take the chip. We don't know how to have enough courage and strength to say no. But Lord, if you're leading us to it, you'll lead us through it. So, we humble ourselves and recognize that you will take us through anything. We can do all things through Christ that gives us strength. There's not one thing that God will send us to that he will not help us to get through. Not one thing. So, and Lord, I pray too for my friends to know that we cannot leave an assignment until God says, go. We have to stay in the midst of the suffering. And that's what's hard, Brad. So whenever I'm in that place and I think I can't go another step, I've absolutely had it. I'm about to punch somebody in the face. I'm about, you know what I mean? Like, I, my flesh just can't take it anymore. I'm ready to punch the wall. That is when I know I have to get on my face. I have to humble myself and get down because I'm so angry within my own self. I can't do another step. So I get on my face and I say, God, if you don't give me grace to get through this assignment, you called me here, but I can't take this anymore. I need you to give me more grace. After I spend my time on the floor, after I spend my time praying in tongues, I raise up from that place and bam, I have the grace. He, I know how to get the grace to continue. On my face, in humility, and have him give me that reservoir of grace to be able to... Con That's what grace is. It's not so you can sin. Grace is that you can continue in the grace of God, in the favor of God, in the assignment of God that he has called you to do. That is the grace. Not so that you can take it for granted and say, oh, I have grace so I can go out here and sin. That's what the Bible says. Grace is not that you may sin. Grace is that you can continue in the path that God has for you even when you're suffering. Now, right now we're studying Second Chronicles. Okay, Second Chronicles. And we'll be on Second Chronicles for a week. It's a big book. But what I'm loving about it, Brian, is we're going to learn a lot about kings. 
and what they went through, like we're learning about Solomon. We've already learned a bunch today. But next week, when it comes time for Christmas, and we're studying Job through Christmas, a lot of people look at Job like, oh, that is the Bible. I mean, that's the book where he's just suffering all the time. But what they forget is, how do we handle the suffering? This, and there's a lot of people through the holidays that suffer because they're single, they're by themselves, or they're, they're old and they're sick, or they're just sick, or people have abandoned them, or they're on assignment by this, I've been this way many times, on assignment by God, not near my family, and I have no one suffering, you know. So I think Job will be a great time for us uh, after we finish Second Chronicles. All right, Brian, so I have enjoyed this so much today, uh, spending time with you in Second Chronicles, and I am so thankful now that God has taken us back to Second Chronicles because when I went to Washington, if it was not for the time that I've spent in this Bam In Your Face Devil Bible studies where we actually studied from the beginning of time where he built the tabernacle and the way that God showed out in the mountain and the way that he talks about sin and all this, I believe all of that teaching of God, the Father and his heart towards sin and the honesty, I don't think I would have made it in Washington. I would have just got caught up in the hype of it. I don't think I would have been able to uh, remain grounded and to understand that the judgment of sin that's coming because of us ignoring, you know, the trauma that's taking place out here before God. God's heart and the way God sees things is more important than the way the culture is reacting or the way people see it or the way any popular actor, singer, whatever is saying. God's heart about what's happening is the most important and that is what should enrage us <laughs> more than anything else what should enrage us is what does God say about that what is he saying about the blasphemy out here how can you sit there and call yourself a man and a woman of God and not be outraged at the blasphemy that's taking place right before your eyes what are you people thinking where is God in all this? What, who, what God are you serving? God would never partner with blasphemy. I mean, seriously. it's Everything has gotten so crazy out here. So, you know, off the chains, uh, goofy. And how the church cannot see it is because they have just continued to swallow the Kool-Aid, I guess. But us... The people that have the eyes wide open, we have to tell people and we have to warn people because God says he will send them over. They will be so caught up in their lust, bride. They will be so caught up in their lust that God will just let them go. He will let them go off into this goofiness because their mind is not saturated in the word. They have so swallowed up like a frog in a pot where they're just slowly being cooked. And they, they can't see any difference. So if we don't tell them, how are they going to know? We have to tell them, you're being deceived. It's right here in front of your eyes. Get out of the blasphemy. Get out of this. 
or when the judgment hits, it will hit you hard and everything you're attached to. Come out of there. Be ye separate. Come out from among them. Don't get in all that mess type of deal. But anyways, I'm so thankful for God's word and the time that we have had together today, Bride. And thank you uh, for those of you that, you know, truly uh, partner with me in these Bible studies because it's so amazing and so enriching. Okay, so God bless you, Bride. God bless you, bless you.